When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Unsuckable. Yeah, we're back. Um, World Cup special. I'm your host, Manuel Fid, and as always, I am joined by Filippo. Filippo, how's it going? Going great, Manuel. It's starting to be to feel more and more like a World Cup year, right? It, it took a while because usually the draw is the year before, and then the World Cup happens over the summer. So it didn't quite feel like a World Cup year because not all teams were qualified, but now they're all well, 29 of the 32 are qualified, and we have the groups. So I'm excited, feeling good, and looking forward to this episode. Yeah, November, December World Cup. I know it's gonna get, take some getting used to. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure yet. Like, it feels really weird. It feels really weird because it's supposed to be in like three months, but it's not. But oh well, it is what it is, right, Adrian? How's it going, Adrian? How are you doing? It's going well. I'm actually interested to see what it's going to be like having a World Cup during sort of the festive season because I, I can't remember when exactly the final is, but it's got to be close-ish to Christmas, right? So December 21st. That's, December yeah. 18th, actually, right? Is 18th. It 18th? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's very close to Christmas. So that's going to be interesting to be watching World Cup matches around that time. So, you know, let's give it a shot once and then we'll go back to the summer. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this episode because last week after the group stage draw, I literally shut down from anything world cup or football related for 24 hours julia took a picture of me falling asleep on the couch immediately after my stream with my hands in my pockets so i was done for so i'm looking forward to looking at this with fresh eyes it's going to be fun yeah yeah it's uh i didn't really you know the world cup draw uh, i think this is the first time ever i've seen this much excitement about the world cup draw because usually canada are not in it yeah and um in Germany, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, what did we get? Which pot are we in? Whatever, who cares? And then we'd get the draw and we're like, oh, yeah, doable. And then kind of move on, right? That's um, it. That's why last week when I, I made that mistake about CONCACAF nations getting drawn in the same pot, because I've never paid attention to this ever yeah. before, because it's just like, oh, I guess we'll just see where Portugal will end up. And I've never had to really think about it. Yeah. And it, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was actually exciting. And I, I have to actually give a shout out. Um, to the media coverage in this country, I thought it was really good. A lot of a lot of the stations um, paid a lot of attention to it. TSN had like a full preview show. Good for you guys. Um, Sportsnet did a lot of coverage. They even shut down Chef Merrick, the Chef Merrick show, for a full hour, which is like crazy. For those who don't know, Chef Merrick is like a big hockey show uh, that's once a day in the morning, 
and they shut that down to do the World Cup draw instead. I mean, this is like sacrilege in this country. And Josh, to bring in our final host, I mean, this is the first time in your lifetime Canada has gone to the World Cup. I mean, uh, I think I'm going to eat to myself here. I'm the only one on this show that actually was alive when Canada last went to the World Cup. Um, it was pretty exciting. How was it over at One Soccer? Yeah, it's it's really exciting. I, I keep... I'm almost like in disbelief because like I've, I mentioned here on the channel, like um, on the podcast and pretty much anyone who asks, I grew up in a small, small town. Just soccer was just never talked about. It's, it truly was. Hockey was everything. I mean, I being from Ontario and I don't like the Leafs is all, all I can hear. So oh, thank God. Yeah, honestly. So <laughs> seeing seeing this type of uh, overhaul is, is pretty interesting. And I've always told and, and I almost had a feeling that if soccer was going to put its stamp on Canada, it would have to be through the, the World Cup. We'd have to mm-hmm. find a generation that can go through World Cup qualifying, that can actually qualify and get the hype. And, it, and it's delivered. Uh, and you see it through the TV ratings all out through World Cup qualifying, seeing them slowly get up the Jamaica one and the that they qualified for and the Panama one, I believe had 1.6 and 1.2 million plus like the French views. So it's really blossoming into something beautiful and i'm really excited to to be a part of it and and yeah and doing the world cup draw was like I, i'd always watch it because you know it's it's the world cup you always pay attention and uh but now doing it this this time with canada in it it was it was completely different uh got an okay group but all in all i'm just i'm excited and i'm excited to be able to talk to to it with you boys and uh mm. as well as a uh, rude um or very polite uh, american over there yeah you know i think it's actually i i actually think it's very exciting too um it's kind of um nice seeing it from a very different and new perspective for me because like in in the past like as i said like i grew up in germany and in canada and uh, in germany like you know i'm I'm a huge german national team fan um i was in in russia and of course i remember brazil i was there on the final weekend as well when we lifted uh, the fourth world cup um and like to see it from this very different perspective has been very nice because there's almost like um, a childish kind of expectation. It's almost like it was almost like Christmas. And of course, we'll have to get used to it because I think from here on, Canada is probably going to go to pretty much every World Cup, uh, especially after it gets expanded. Right. But like that first one, it's and it, it feels almost like the first one. I know we went in 86, uh, different, different era, but um, it's it's very, very exciting. Um, and I think it's you full on right, Josh. I mean, ultimately, people are bandwagon fans. And I don't mean this dismissive, um, don't get me wrong, but I think ultimately people are bandwagon fans. And for a game to grow in a country, the country's national team has to do well, right? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, and that's a, a huge part of it is because it's almost like until you see it with your eyes or until you have something to be excited about, you don't know what you're missing out on. This is I'm 25 years and I've been a soccer fan my entire life and I've never seen this type of hype in this country because this is what it can do. A World Cup is is special. It's why they come around every four years, which can get in a completely different topic of whether you should switch it to four to two. But I like it because it gives you so much to look forward to. And now seeing Canada and all these maybe neutral fans who are just starting to maybe get interested in the sport. And me personally, I don't care how you get in the sport. I want the sport to grow in this country. That's the entire purpose. And having a World Cup, hosting one in 2026 is going to be on a different planet. But to actually earn your spot and prove that, hey, I'm not just a host. I'm not here because I have hosting rights. I earned my way through a grueling qualifying round, got a lot of attention, and made a lot of the neutrals or or old school soccer fans really fall in love with this team, which 
they deserve a lot of credit, and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen in November. I see you, Filippo. Do it. No, I was just going to ask Josh if the the hosting rights in 2026. It seemed like he was taking a jab on Qatar. Was that was that what it was, Josh? No, no. I I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. Because Qatar's been an excellent uh, stage. They just won the uh, the a- a- AFC Championship. Is that what you, what you call they it? They won it in 2019, but we saw them Still, in Gold Cup. Uh, made it know. to the semifinals. It wasn't like it, it was a terrible showing, even though they, they, they did. Yeah, but it was a Gold Cup also with... Canada, U.S., even Mexico, most of them missing their best players in Qatar. Brought, I know it's a different continent, yeah. too. A lot changes, but no, I know. But 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 again, they never qualified, right? And until they were the host. That's that's true. I mean, and I didn't even think of it that way. But the nice thing is, it's like they did win something recently, which I don't think you. I mean, there are some big hitters playing in Asia that they beat out to win that trophy. And I don't think that's something you can take take lightly. If they didn't win that tournament, maybe that would have been more of a jab. But I. I actually didn't mean it in the jab because it's impressive with what they did. And I mean, it's like if Canada won a, a gold cup, it doesn't matter who came there. If they would have won the gold cup and then maybe went in, it's like, okay, well, they are right now the, the best in CONCACAF. Qatar right now is technically, correct me if you guys think I'm wrong, the best team in Asia. Uh, well, it, it could, it, it, there's, a, there's a case for sure. Qatar <laughs> hosted that tournament, no? Yeah. No. Yeah. Did they? I actually don't remember. No, let me, it, was, let me, it was a neighboring. Um, uh, I thought it was in the UAE. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, and they're not, they're not friends. Uh, so <laughs> never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, but this is a great segue, guys. Well done. <laughs> I didn't even have to do anything because Qatar is in Group A. And so let's bring in, let's bring in Adrian here as well. If you look at Netherlands, Senegal, Ecuador, uh, Qatar, um, that's a, other than the Netherlands, pretty balanced group, right? Yeah, I would think so. Because as the guys pointed out, Qatar, you know, Confederation champions, Ecuador, very, very promising team, Senegal, Kings of Africa at the moment. And so that's going to be really, really difficult to sort of figure out who gets that second place. It's going to be an absolute dogfight for second place, it seems. Now, Ecuador is a team that I'm not as familiar with, but uh, Filippo absolutely has been following them. And it seems like the buzz around them in South America is that they're the next sort of like young, exciting team, no? Before Filippo goes, more MLS players in Ecuador's national team than in the U.S. national team. (laughs) So it's true. It's true. So Ecuador (laughs) is, I, I keep saying that they're an enigma team to me. I don't really know what to expect from them. They're, they're going to probably be the second youngest team in this World Cup just behind the United States. And they they did win five out of five out of their seven wins in World Cup qualifying were at home. And yes, at times they play at Quito, which the altitude plays in their favor. They're very well coached by Gustavo Alfaro, former Boca Juniors manager. But I don't know what to expect from them. If I They seem to me more like a 2026 team than a 2022 team. So for this World Cup, my expectations on Ecuador are somewhat low. I don't think they're going to get out of their group. But but it's a team that has some... They can go very hot or very cold very easily in a game. I'll tell you that. Like They beat Colombia 6-1 in one of the games in World Cup qualifying. But then they had some very bad results as well. They qualified in fourth, which is the last spot you can in Comebol besides the Inter-Confederate playoffs. So I don't really know what to expect from Ecuador in this World Cup. I'm my... I would just say probably go out in the group stage. I like that you said that's more of a 2026 team. I think I agree with that because 
a lot of that talent is kind of coming out for each and four years, right? And there is a ton of talent in this team when you just scroll down the, the latest squad. Um, and it, it does look pretty promising. So I, I actually like how you said that because I think it's probably also true uh, for a few other countries that we're going to mention, right, Filippo? But like yeah. this team will be good in four years. Yeah, and, and this will be a great experience for them. Regardless of yeah. how they do, they're going to get a little bit of the World Cup experience. And then 2026, I'm not saying they're title contenders or anything, but they can be that team that makes it to around the 16. Maybe like a Costa Rica in 2014, the quarterfinals. Mm. They can surprise a few in the next one. I just don't think right now is the time. Yeah, no, I, I'm 100% in agreement. Um, I want to really quickly talk about the Netherlands as well here. And I actually have them down as one of the World Cup favorites. Um, and I know they went through a period of a pretty tough period. But uh, Louis van Gaal, a coach who, Filippo, you probably don't have an as good memory. But um, he's a guy who I remember in 1990, between 1994 and 1996, completely dominated world football with that beautiful Ajax side, probably one of the best Ajax sides ever produced. Um, then went to Barcelona and was at AC Alkmaar and then he invented and I wrote an article for Forbes about this yesterday and he essentially invented modern Bayern Munich <clears throat> excuse me and um, was has revealed um, this week that he has been battling prostate cancer and has been um, undergone 25 treatments during World Cup qualifying guy is 70 years old and he said Prostate cancer doesn't kill people. It's usually just underlying conditions what it what kills people, and it's so I'm going to be fine. I mean, the guy is a warrior, and that makes me think um, Louis van Gaal is on a mission. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but when Louis van Gaal is on a mission, and I've seen it in the past, his teams are dangerous. Anyone feel free to just chime in here and uh, tell me I'm wrong, but I just I just have a really weird, after I read this, I have a really weird sense that the Netherlands is going to go really deep in this tournament. Um, I would just add one thing. Obviously, like you said, my most recent experience with Louis van Gaal with a team of mine, which was Manchester United, didn't go as expected um, because I expected it to be very successful, right? Post Sir Alex era. Now, Netherlands making a deep run wouldn't be a surprise, right? They've they've done it in the past. They've done it in recent history. It's not really a, a team that's that's out of the norm to make a deep run. Whether they'll win the World Cup, I definitely don't have them as even a top three favorites. But I really wouldn't be surprised if they made it a semifinal run. A, a final would surprise me with the team they currently have. I think when you look at their lineup right now and you just think of how they did at Euro 2020 they absolutely underachieved at that point and I think that looking at them now with more time under Van Gaal with more experience for some of their younger players you know Frankie de Jong he went through a little bit of uh, a difficult time at Barcelona recently but he's come through that and I think that players when they face that kind of adversity they always come out on the other side as being much better you look at Steven Berghaus who's doing really well at Ajax now Memphis Depay hasn't been playing a ton at Barcelona recently but he's shown many, many times that he can score important goals. Steven Bergwijn, even though he wasn't playing at Tottenham, I think he scored a brace against Denmark recently, and he's rapid. So they're a very, very fast, well-organized team defensively that can absolutely kill you on the counter. So I think that they're kind of almost built for tournament football in that sense with that great defensive ability coupled with the ability to go forward really, really quickly and hurt teams. So I don't think that it's a stretch to put them as one of the favorites for this World Cup either. 
Yeah, Josh, do you have any final thoughts or are you ready to move on to Group B? I I mean, Group, group A is going to be interesting. Uh, I, I do agree. I think Netherlands will do something, but I'm, I'm kind of, in my mind, placing them somewhere around the, the quarterfinal run. Uh, but they, I mean, Louis van Hall showed that they can, he can do it in the, the big stage. I wasn't overly convinced. I know he wasn't in charge at their, uh, their Euro performance. I just think that they're one of those teams that can be a hit or miss. So depending on the type of tournament that they're in for, I think they could thrive or I think they could disappoint. But other than that, I agree with you guys. The other three is really open. I'd have to maybe lean a little bit more towards Senegal, but I, I really don't think you can underestimate what is that Qatar is the home side. And I think Manuel might've heard it from you. Only one home nation hasn't made it out of the group stage and i think that was south africa and you guys if anyone knows it off the top of their head correct yeah, me if i'm wrong south africa yeah south africa yeah so it, it'll be a good group and i'm i'm curious to see if Qatar can uh, make it through yeah that's it's going to be interesting I, i'm i'm looking forward to this uh group as well and i am really curious to see <laughs> how much qatar is uh how far qatar is going to go in their ultimate sport washing project um, speaking of sport washing, um, I was in Russia in 2018, and this tournament was bashed by the UK media, absolutely destroyed until they went there and England did well. And then all of a sudden, it was this most beautiful tournament. So um, I think Group B and two teams in Group B are going to determine whether this is a sport washing project of Qatar is going to work out or not. Because if England and the US go deep, um, the media will very quickly go from bashing Qatar to glorifying this World Cup in those two countries. And the media in those two countries essentially is the media of this planet. Um, so I'm really curious to see how this is going to work out. But Filippo, one of your countries is in this group, the US. Um, we also have Iran and the winners of playoff one. Um, so a European country. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's a European country, right, Filippo? Yeah, it's going to be Ukraine, Wales or Scotland. That's the right. 14. So hopefully Ukraine. Um, what was your feeling when you got this? This when you saw this draw. So looking because I I go for two countries in the World Cup, right? Brazil and the United States. And in terms of the United States, there's not going to be a group where the United States is the best team in the group. So I personally did not want to land at the same group as Qatar because I do have some questions in regards to referees in this tournament for Qatar. So when it got England, I was actually excited for it. Uh, England does love to bottle it, and they never beat the United States in the World Cup. Now, is are, 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 is the English national team better than the United States? <laughs> There's no question about it. England should finish first in this group. But overall, I think the United States got an okay group, a group that if things go right, they could go through. Iran, uh, Iran, sorry, I said Iran. Iran is not... A pushover. We saw that in the last World Cup, right? Adrian definitely remembers that. Them giving Portugal a hard time, giving Spain a hard time. And they're going to do the same this one. They're going to defend for their lives and be dangerous in counterattacks. And regardless of who we get, Ukraine, Scotland, or Wales, these are beatable teams as well. So my first thoughts on it is under a good coach in the right circumstances, the United States can go through. We've seen the United States go through tougher groups with worse teams in the past. And I'm excited, man. We're going to play England on a Black Friday. So the United States will be watching this. I'm, I'm looking forward to this game. So essentially, I, I think I'm just like a little kid with a new toy. I'm just pumped for all of this. Yeah, and how is your soccer campaign going? My soccer campaign? I, I'm still working on it. Still work. I lost the first battle, but I still 
still haven't lost the war. We're still going to have a USMNT party and that no pun intended right there. But but yeah, we're, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to try to ratio the English Twitter account with the word soccer and, and it'll happen. Them uh-huh. like it or not, it'll happen because the United States is a population advantage and we also usually beat England in everything. So I'm going to keep it that way. I, I can't wait for the FA to be renamed as the SA. Uh, well, <laughs> the soccer. Oh, so. I just realized too that that would not be good. Um, never mind. <laughs> You're going to get canceled for that. <laughs> um, no, yeah, yeah, that was totally a mistake. But yes, um, you know, that would be very unfortunate if you managed to do that. Let's say it that way. Um, I also I also wanted to say that don't the, rename the FA into the Soccer Association. Yeah, can I just add one thing about England real quick? I think yeah. England are absolutely they do have a shot on winning the World Cup, right? It, I wouldn't put it on 0% chance, but I think this team is extremely overhyped like every English generation we've seen the past 4 or 5 World Cups, at least in recent memory for me, right? I I wasn't born before that, so I don't know. So Gary Neville coming on and saying this is the most talented generation they've had. I mean, you look back in recent history, they had a generation with Rio Ferdinand and John Terry at the back line. Gerard Lampard, David Beckham, Wayne Rooney. They've had as talented generations in the past, and they've actually had better coaches than Southgate. And I know they had issues outside of the field, but they they created this illusion because they made it to the semifinals in 2018 with a very easy bracket, and they pretty much lost to the first elite or semi-elite team they faced. And Colombia took them all the way to penalties. Yeah, but that's not an elite team. That's a good team. No, no, no. But that was yeah. the first good team they faced. Yes. And that, so, that was close too. Yeah. So the first elite or semi-elite, because maybe we don't want to say Croatia's elite, even though I personally think they were elite in that World Cup. Yeah, yeah, they the were. First I, I followed team, Croatia very closely in that tournament. They didn't they close. lose to Croatia in the group stage? Yeah. Yeah. No. So, no. 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 Well, they didn't win all the games in the group stage, did they? In 2018? I think they only played like postman and retired. Guys. No, oh yeah. So so England in the 2018 World Cup, they lost to Belgium in the group stage. That's correct. And they lost to Belgium in the third. So they lost to every single elite or semi-elite nation they faced. Right? Yeah. They, they lost to all of them. And, and And no one talks about that because they just say, oh, he made it to the semifinals. And then you go to the Euros which was in many, it was a very odd circumstances, right? They tied Scotland 0-0. They defeated a German side, which was transitioning coaches. They, they, Joaquin Lowe was leaving. Germany wasn't really the German we see now. And they faced an easier bracket. They defeated Denmark that had just gone through something horrific with Ericsson. And they played at home. And then the first also elite team they faced, which didn't even make the World Cup, by the way, Italy, they lost at home. So these accomplishments from England are not as good as their propaganda media are trying to portray. That's just something I wanted to make it clear right away. we got to stop the nonsense of saying they made it to the semifinals. They made it to a final. The past generations here recently didn't do it. Well, the circumstances kind of lined up. It wasn't that good of an accomplishment. And they lost to pretty much every elite team they faced. I personally think they have issues in goal and defense. Um, but that's just me. Um Adrian, Josh, how do me you and you, me and you, I'm with <laughs> you. Uh, I I agree with you when it comes to the defense. I think that in the midfield they have some really good players. I know he's memed a lot, but Declan Rice is becoming better and better all the time. Jude Bellingham is an excellent player, and I think their attack is pretty damn good as well. But that defense just 
Gives me but the shakes. Gareth Southgate hates the Bundesliga, so Bellingham won't play. Yeah, that's true. So forget about all, but forget about Jude Bellingham. <laughs> but um, no, I think the midfield and the attack is really strong. But like you said, in goal, am I really confident? Not really. Um, Pickford doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence, and any of the others that they've tried out there haven't really filled me with confidence either. And that back line, like John Stones, doesn't play as often anymore. He's either injured or out of form because he was in great form about a year or two ago i think it was a year ago alongside ruben diaz at manchester city he got back into really good form and the rest of that back line doesn't really fill me with confidence either and like we were talking about earlier the defense is such an integral part of this sort of uh, of the competition really to make that good deep run if you have a good defense that does major major things for your chances so i think that england is definitely going to have a little bit more of a difficult time than perhaps some of their fans are expecting them to in this group Mm. And Josh, any final thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything Adrian was saying. I think uh, looking back at the last World Cup and the last Euros, I know that they had technically good performances making to the semis and then finishing fourth of the World Cup and then the final loss where they lost on PKs. And there's, they're a good side. There's no debating that. They have a lot of talent there. I just, I feel like, and maybe it's unfair to say, I feel like they got very a very kind draw both times to basically give them a better opportunity to make it further. I don't think they were overly convincing in either tournament, uh, especially the World Cup. I I, I look back on, on their performances, and I think it was they got very lucky they made it as far as they did. And losing to Croatia was just kind of icing on the cake for, for them. I mean, that's just kind of as good as it got. This, this time around, I think that there will be favorites to get out of the group, probably top it. If not, if they slip up a little bit, finish in second. But they should probably top this group. And then I'm curious to see if they get linked up with the – a big hitter like like a France or depending on what side of the bracket they fall on, they could take on the Netherlands. It it'll it'll be interesting, and then if they can get through that type of match, I think that's when we'll see if this team is is actually good enough to go far. If they get the Netherlands, that's goodbye. Yeah, I think that that would be really difficult to go up against the Netherlands, and especially another thing that we have to remember. And I I'm sorry if I spaced out when Filippo was speaking, and he actually mentioned this already. But at Euro 2020, they're essentially a home team, like they're playing at Wembley. Yeah over and over and over and over again. So going away now, it's sort of a, a whole new challenge and they won't be entirely the English support in Wembley that we're sort of pushing them on. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that aspect as well. I, I just tell you, uh, World Cups that England does well and gets favorable reporting. Just telling, saying that now. Um, Group C. Yeah, because, Manuel, their, their media is a propaganda machine. That's all yeah, they yeah. Do. Group C. Um Argentina, Poland, Saudi Arabia, Mexico. I mean, I hate to do this, Filippo, but I'm going to go straight back to you because Argentina, of course, uh, are my favorite to go and through in this group. But after that, I, I kind of have Poland ahead of Mexico here. Yeah, um, Argentina are the clear favorites of this group, for sure. We've seen how they were dominant in common ball with Brazil. Now, Mexico and Poland, I think what Mexico needs, because Poland overall is a better team than Mexico, and they have Lewandowski, which is better than any Mexican player ever, mm. right? So, um, but here's with Mexico. If Mex for Mexico to make it out of this group, what they need in this World Cup, they need to arrive with Raul Jimenez, Tecatito, and Chucky Lozano in form. If those three guys up top are in form, Mexico can go through this group stage. I've done a few simulations. The best scenario for them to go through is they kind of draw in points with Poland and they go through goal differential. They need these guys to do well. They struggle to score sometimes in World Cup qualifying. 
I think the defense will be all right. Um, the midfield will be all right. Even though I do have some questions in regards to midfield, especially if they fa- play Hector Herrera and Guardado together, they're pretty ancient. And Hector will be in MLS for a couple months. I don't think that will affect them as much as some people do. But it's all about those three. If the front three, Chucky Lozano, Tecatito, and Raul Jimenez are in form, I think Mexico can go through. Otherwise, Poland will go through. And I don't care if Lewandowski is in form or not. He doesn't need to be in form. He's a world-class player. Him in average form, even poor form, he can outperform most players in the world. So that's what Mexico needs to go through. Now, Argentina should be going through this group with seven to nine points. Okay, And I know we're not talking about Saudi Arabia, but I, I probably have them finishing last. I would I agree with that. I oh, oh sorry. No, I was go just going to say jump in. I was just <laughs> just go for it and then I bring Josh as well. I was just going to say on Saudi Arabia. I I didn't follow the qualifiers that closely. I mean, it is impressive that they finished above Japan and Australia, but looking at their recent form, including the Arab Cup, they've only won two of their last seven matches. So it's sort of tough to get a read on Saudi Arabia. Um and I think that it is fairly safe to say that they won't be going through. We can say that for sure. For me, the big question mark is Poland because they got through against Sweden. Um, and I hear that their new manager has brought a lot of positive changes to the team. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. And it's for me right now, a sort of a corn, corn, a corn flip, a coin flip between them and uh, and Mexico at the moment. Go ahead, Filippo. Um, Adrian, no, add, yeah, Filippo, you go on. And no, I was going to add one thing to Poland. They, their Portuguese manager abandoned the team. I think it was in January, right when they were at this. They started the playoffs to play, and he went to go coach Flamengo down in Brazil. So that was a little iffy, but they still managed to qualify. But we haven't really seen much from them under new management. So we don't know what's up with Poland. And Mexico is a wild card at this point because you know they they. Even though they finished tied with Canada in World Cup qualifying, I mean, they couldn't beat Canada. They couldn't beat the United States throughout the entire campaign. Yeah, Josh, Mexico finished. If you just take the top four teams, Mexico actually finished last of when you take the head-to-head of the four, top four teams in CONCACAF. What's your take on Mexico? I mean, I kind of agree with um, Adrian that it's a corn flip. I'm kidding, Adrian. I just had to throw that in there. But uh, it, yeah, I mean... I would probably put Saudi Arabia towards the bottom. I'd put Argentina at the top. And then I think it's I think it's fair to put Poland and Mexico as two very not convincing teams, to be completely honest. I think Poland's got a lot of issues. I know what Filippo was talking about, about Lewandowski, but I'm pretty sure he didn't score in the last major tournament, if I'm not mistaken. So I, we know how good of a striker he can be, but when you are basically have the, the supporting cast that he has at Bayern, it makes it a lot easier for him to put up those type of numbers. I still think he's special and can create something out of nothing, but he still needs that supporting cast. And I just don't know if Poland has enough of it. But on the flip side of things with Mexico, we've heard statements like this is the worst generation for Mexico for a long time. So the fact that they still technically tie with Canada at the top, but didn't do it against the big hitters in CONCACAF probably makes the Mexican supporters relatively nervous. So I can see this going either way. I can honestly see Mexico, Poland drawing each other, uh, winning both over Saudi Arabia, losing both to Argentina, finishing 1-1-1. and and then it kind of goes down to goal differential. So it'll be a very it'll be a, a very interesting one. Okay, maybe Adrian correct me. He said Lewandowski scored three at Euros. What about the last World Cup, the 2018? I'll, I'll do a little research and then we'll come back. But I thought there was a major tournament where Lewandowski did not score. So it, it just, that was my point, was he, he will need some type of cast if he wants to be able to find the back of the net. 
Yeah, I, I'm not worried about Lewandowski. Uh, maybe the Bayern fans are worried about him right now because apparently he has um, some rib problems, which just slowed him down on the weekend, but pretty sure by then he'll be fine. Um, I do... You Yeah, oh, by the way, Josh, you are right about 2018. He did not score there, um, but he did score at Euro 2020. So, yeah, good one, Adrian. Thanks for the background research. He's holding up signs here uh, with, with the things that <laughs> with little starts and data, which is great. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round? And who will hit the most three-pointers? Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any College Hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, but let's move on to Group D. And the World Cup holders are in this group together with Denmark, Tunisia, and they're going to be joined by either the UEA, Australia, or Peru. Um, wow, France is going to love this group. So I think Denmark too. I mean, um, for me, France, there's been a lot made about the World Cup curse. And we talked about that last week, right? Um, that maybe France is going to finally break the World Cup curse that they probably set in motion in the first place. Um, but France is a little bit of an enigma to me because they're the sort of team that obviously on paper and talent-wise, they have the best team in the world right now. Um, they are hands-down the World Cup favorite. Um, where it always usually goes wrong for them is the squad composition and getting the right players and getting the players to agree with each other. This is sort of what, what hurt them at Euro 2020 um, and Mbappe and Benzema um, had some issues. Obviously, Benzema came out with a big interview and um, he said, can't wait when M Mbappe joins us at Real Madrid. Um, that was a bit of a bombshell that dropped yesterday. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, it really does come down to Didi Deschamps finding the, the right chemistry in a really highly talented group. And um, I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, if France find that chemistry, I think they could be the first country to defend the World Cup since Brazil has done it in 58-62, um, right? So, yeah, anyone want to chime in here on France? Because, like, I personally think, Adrian, maybe I bring you, or Filippo, you bring you in first, and then Adrian and Josh. But France, for me, is, is the World Cup favorite, unless they mess it up for themselves. Um, they are definitely one of the World Cup favorites, and I highly doubt they're going to deal with the, the champion's curse. I, I don't see them dropping in the group stage. The one thing to talk about France was in 2018, they knew how to use their offense in transition very well, right? They benefited a lot. They were, I'm not going to call them transition merchants because they had a lot more than just that, right? They have talent in every single position in depth, right? But it seemed like a lot of the nations figured out a way to deal with their transition game. And that slowed down France a little bit. Now they are adding Karim Benzema back, a player they didn't have in 2018, possibly a 
top three best center forward in the world. He's in form, having one heck of a season for Real Madrid. They're definitely one of the favorites. And on paper, yes, if we look only on paper, they're probably the deepest squad in this World Cup right now. And I think also in the past, a lot of the times the the champions curse, the team would win the World Cup with a lot of their players in their prime. And then they would deal with the champions curse on the next edition because you would have that expectation of them winning again and they would just drop in the group stage. That happened many times. But that French team that won in 2018, they were not in their prime. They were actually pretty young, right? And if anything, this team on paper is even stronger than the 2018 side. Now, that doesn't mean anything when the game starts. They could still lose. But this is a team that's probably stronger than the 2018 version. But I'm, go- I'm going to disagree with you here, though. Germany in 2014 was very young, too. Were they very young? Mm-hmm. Well, didn't because you guys not have... All, their, all the main players hit the prime in 2018. Well, 2018, you didn't have Schweinsteiger, which was one of your best players in 2014. Uh, Matt Hummels, was he in his prime or was he old? He was kind of old already. No, no, Matt Hummels is still not old. You lost Philipp Lahn and Schweinsteiger, which were key players yeah, for that that's squad. It. But but that's it's not, I mean, Schweinsteiger and Philipp Lahn, the impact they have in that team is absurd, right? Yeah, sure. But I mean, there was lots of other young players in that squad that hit their prime four years later. And you can say the same about France, losing some key players as well. Could be more fatigue of just keeping joking, uh, picking his nose for so long. Could be yeah. that too. <laughs> but, but, I think that's that's it. I think that's it. Could be. Um, but but overall, and also I think Hansi Flick was the assistant in 2014, right? Am I wrong? Yeah. Exactly. So probably losing him didn't help as well. But overall, yeah, France to me, one of the candidates. But I'll hand it over to Adrian and Josh there so they can talk about it. Whoever wants to go first right there. I think that France undoubtedly has the deepest squad of all the nations at this World Cup because they could make two or three pretty competitive national teams based on just all of the talent that they boast. And like Manuel was saying earlier, it's just a matter of them actually getting into sync with each other because you look at this team, like I'm just looking at some of the talent that they have out there like the Hernandez brothers the Pogba in the midfield Shua Meni now a young player that's coming to prominence Christopher Nkunku who is maybe the best player in the Bundesliga right now I don't know I think you could make a pretty decent argument for that he's having an incredible season so it's just there's further weapons being added to this team all the time then you factor in Karim Benzema who came back to the French national team just before Euro 2020 now he's had a qualifying cycle with them and so he's going to be there with Mbappe now in some of the form of his life at the moment for PSG he's basically carrying that front line at times i think he was involved in four or five goals at the weekend you know scoring a couple setting up all the others so this team is really really scary and like Filippo said i can't see them like if they were to fall to this you know the world cup holders curse that would be one of the biggest collapses that i've seen in a long time i think they would rival that of germany's and maybe even be worse than germany's at the 2018 world cup because of just how talented they are and how informed they are with benzema as well being in some of the form of his life so it's hard to see this team failing to get out of this group stage and i think i mean anything less than a deep run like a quarterfinal or a semifinal, would be a huge huge disappointment from them i'm just gonna say this as well like when the, the team that Germany sent to the 2018 World Cup included um, not only the team that won the 2014 World Cup, but also the team that won the 2017 Confederations Cup, which was very young, but also the U20, that year that Germany won the 2017 Confederations Cup, they also won the U21 European Championship. And everyone was saying the same thing about 
Germany in 2018, how deep they are. They can essentially send three teams there. And still, Lviv didn't get the chemistry right. And the end of the day, that was it. Um, but Manu, just the 2014 one, for 2018, when you compare the teams, you all lost Schweinsteiger, Philipp Lund. No, but I, listen to what I just was said. Was Ozil in 2018? Yeah. He was? But he and was he past was his one, prime, he right? Was one of, no, he was one of the issues, though, because there was the scandal of him in Gundogan visiting Erdogan. Mm, yeah. Also, Miroslav closer was done. The, the big issue for this team was that Löw essentially wasn't able to merge three excellent teams. It was chemistry. Josh? Yeah, no, I was going to say ex- exactly that. I think the, the reason that Germany slipped up was because they just they couldn't get it right. And this is this is a tournament where you have to hit the ground running. You have three three matches to be able to make the top two spots and go on a type of run. And I just don't think he, he got the cards right. He wasn't able to transition that side the way he wanted to. And talking about France, I agree that I mean, it'd be a shock if they couldn't make it out of this group or even go on a deep run. But the thing that I thought made that 2018 team so unique and so unorthodox was there was three separate things about that squad that stood out to me. One, they played with four center backs, Lucas Hernandez on the left and Benjamin Pavard on the right. That's an unorthodox move. They also had Blaise Matuidi playing up in a 4-2-3-1 down the left-hand side. Helped in transition, had a lot of coverage, but he's also pretty mobile CDM pulling up on that left-hand side. And then they had Olivier Giroud as a leading man who, again, we need to rely on Adrian, but he did not score a goal throughout the entire World Cup and started every single match, or at least close to every single match. So you, you look at those kind of things, you're like, damn, like that team won the World Cup and doing that types of things. Now, the thing that Mandel was talking about, about Yogi Love having so much success in 2014 and then maybe not adapting or trying to find a way to make this squad's fit I think uh, I think France is doing that, getting players like Nkuku involved, getting a player that I'm, I'm sorry, Lucas Hernandez, but you're not a left back, getting Theo Hernandez in there. I mean, Matuidi's moved on. They've brought back Benzema. So they're adapting. And I think that's something that's a very positive move for them because I think if they would have stayed in the similar mindset of how they lined up for that 2018 one, I don't know if they would be able to go on that deep kind of run, but I, I give them respect to evolving and, and trying to find the depth in this side and, and balance it out. And I think that they can do that properly. I think there's going to be a good chance at the top of the group and not only that, have a shot at potentially going to the final. Yeah, I just want to battle the narrative here that um, Germany was in a very different position because they were not. It was exactly the same than we now put France in. Um, it was essentially three very good teams. And in the end of the day, Löw couldn't get the chemistry right because what Didi Deschamps did well. And Josh, you're 100% right. Like He played a guy like Oliver Giroud because not because he... Um, because he added something that was important for the tournament team, not necessarily because he was the best player. And I think that's really what is important um, when it comes to tournaments. And we see in the U21 Championship where France had by far the best team, right? And yet Germany won in the end of the day because Stefan Kunz found the right chemistry. And we have to remember tournament teams aren't necessarily not the, the teams with the best players, but are the ones with where the coach manages to get four get 23 or maybe it's 26 for this world cup but i think that's still to be determined 26 guys 23 to 26 guys to agree for four weeks that there's only one goal and one goal only and that's the world cup and i think this is really where where it becomes difficult and i think this is a great transition to uh group e because there's going to be two teams in there where you know spain and germany um that are not necessarily talked about world cup favorites a lot but I think in Hansi Flick, Germany maybe have the coach that knows the best of all the coaches at the World Cup, not named Didi Deschamps, how to win a World Cup simply because he was a big part of this 
Joachim Löw project that got Germany across the line in 2014. And I think if anyone knows how to get um, a big squad to agree on one goal and one goal only, it's him. And I mean, he's done it again when Bayern Munich won the Champions League in the in the what was essentially a tournament format, right? And in Portugal. So for me, like this is going to be an interesting group of Germany, Spain, Japan, and um, the winner of playoff two, which is going to be Costa Rica or New Zealand. So I think uh, Costa Rica, but. Yeah, um, Adrian, I mean, this is going to be a really, really interesting group because I think it's pretty, I mean, I think Germany and Spain are going to finish 1-2, but it's going to be difficult to see who's going to be 1 and who's going to be 2. Yeah, that's just it. And I'm just glad that Portugal managed to dodge both of these teams who seem to always be in the same group as Portugal, either in a European championship or at the World Cup. So (laughs) that's good there. Now they get to face each other for once and we could just sit back and watch them fight it out. But yeah, there are two teams that I have a lot of respect for, especially what Luis Enrique is doing with the Spanish side. I think that they showed at Euro 2020 that they weren't the final product there just yet. You could see that they're still sort of figuring out how they want to play. It's almost like a It's not really tiki-taka, but it is very possession-heavy football. Um, But they just couldn't get the finishing touches in there at the moment. And one of those reasons is because of the striker position, which is going to be a little bit difficult for them to figure out. I know that there's, you know, Alvaro Morata, and he's incredibly hit or miss. He'll sometimes score a beauty, and he'll other times miss 12 sitters in one match. So I think that that is ultimately going to be maybe the more difficult part for them is figuring out who is going to provide the goals. But you look at the other players in that front line, like whether it's a Danny Olmo or, you know, a Jeremy Pino who's doing well at Villarreal this season, another very young player. I'm not sure that he'll actually make it into the squad for this. I know that he was in there for recent friendlies, but there's also Ferran Torres who's at Barcelona. So I think that as far as their back line and their midfield goes, Spain are right up there with some of the best teams. Um, maybe not in the fullback positions, because if you're playing a Marcos Alonso or Danny Carvajal or Llorente in those positions, maybe that's something to worry about. But in the midfield, Gavi, Pedri, these guys from Barcelona, um, Rodri at Manchester City. I don't know if Busquets is still involved in the national team, but Spain is a very, very good team all around. And I know I didn't speak about Germany at all, so I'll let someone else take on that duty. Yeah, Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of what Hansi Flick has done with this German side because it just, it seemed like, and I guess a little bit as well as Spain, but it seemed with Germany that they just weren't quite able to find a winning formula. And I think Hansi Flick coming in was the needed change. I think that he has a good understanding of a lot of the players. He knows the system that he's going to go with. And you've seen the incredible amount of work that he has done. I mean, having Manuel Neuer healthy is going to be huge. I think Kimmich is going to be important. I really hope that he plays in the middle of the park. Getting players involved like Jamal Musala and Kai, Kai Habers, depending what Marco Royce will look like. And I'm curious to see, uh, Manuel, if you think Royce will end up making the squad. I know last time out, Kai Havertz kind of played in that hole in that 4-2-3-1. Uh, and then I still have a little bit of question marks about up front for the, the striker position. I'm assuming we're probably going to see Timo Werner up there, probably Sané to the left. But it, it's interesting. I think that's like the one one area where like if you need a goal, even though Timo Werner does have a decent record, record with Germany but I still we know what Timo Werner is uh you got to give him four or five chances before he puts one of them in but it's a good side and I think it's a side that can go pretty deep and yeah in terms of how I see this placing out I, I could see this group going something along the lines of Spain Germany two wins one draw Japan and Costa Rica one draw two losses I, I think there's going to be a big split now this is the World Cup who knows 
And then again, it could come down, come down to goal differential or who's going to take it between that Spain and Germany match. I think Kai Havertz is going to be the number nine, Josh. And that and that's a and that's a good shout because I I think last in the last match against the Netherlands, Manuel, did he play as a striker? Or did he play in the ten? Kind of both. Kind of I mean, both. Like, because Werner drifts a lot to the left, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's not that's not a bad play. I mean, he's a whole yeah. he's a whole big hold up man, strong body, uh, good finisher as well. Probably in my opinion, a better finisher than Timo Werner, and he's been playing there for more for Chelsea. So I do think that goes to his strengths. Yeah, and he scores in big games. I mean, he did score the Champions League winner, right? He scored the winner in the. Um, FIFA Club World Cup as well. He scores in big games. I think he's going to be the number nine. Um, and yeah, I, I I think I look at that team on the whole. It's very balanced. Even defense, where which had worried me for a while. Uh, Niklas Süle has been in very good form for Bayern. And Rüdiger is, is a machine. Um, so that's very, two very good center backs. And then, of course, the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, I think people might be underestimating this Germany team. We'll see. Um, but... Boys, it's finally here. We get to talk about the group that Canada's in, Group F. Um, Josh, I'm going to go straight back to you because you covered this in depth. What was your original reaction when you saw Belgium, Croatia, Morocco? Um, That's a tough group, man. But it's also a good group at the same time, right? It is a tough group and it's so hard to get like a, a proper emotion because there's so many moving parts when you're looking at the draw happening so quickly. You're looking at, okay, where can I fall? Who could I take on? And in and, and the back of my mind, it's just avoid Spain, Germany, avoid Spain, Germany. And then we did. So it's kind of it was a bit of a relief. And then you sit down for a second. You're like, wait, that team was in the finals. That team got third. And Morocco is an, an incredibly talented team as well. So didn't fill me with a ton of confidence. However, I think this is just more than anything an experience and a good opportunity for Canada. I want to see what they can do against some of the big hitters. Croatia, Belgium, Morocco. Yes, in my opinion, they were two of the three best teams in the last World Cup, but I do think they've changed a lot. I think that Belgium obviously lost a, a generational talent, and I know he's not retired, but Hazard is not Hazard anymore. It's a different team. I think they, have, they play a different type of way. I think a little vulnerable at the back. And if you have pace, which Canada absolutely does with Buchanan and Davies, I think that they can put that that aging back line in, into a, l- a little bit of threat. And I'm not saying that they're going to they're gonna top this group or win or anything, but uh, same kind of goes as Croatia. I mean, again, you can't get rid of the quality of this Croatian side and all the amazing players that they had and the incredible run they they did. But again, they, they are aging. Uh, and maybe an energized midfield of Canada, as long as they get put up in a tactical way, can maybe go toe-to-toe with them. But more than anything, I'm I'm just excited, and I hope Canada can at least fight for that second spot. Uh, Morocco's tricky, too. You can't take anything away from them. So I don't know how to really predict this. I'm just, I want to see Canada go in there with with the, the urgency and, and going toe-to-toe with these type of countries and see what happens. Yeah, I think one thing that, like this Belgium team, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of done with all the hype around this Belgium team. And I think that it has died down a lot because it really does feel like they're sort of coming towards the end of a cycle from that golden generation. Like, of course, Kevin De Bruyne is still a ridiculous talent. But when you look at the rest of the team and you look at sort of the the generation that's coming up behind them, they really aren't at that same level that they had before when they had, you know, Alderweireld and Vertonghen and Kevin De Bruyne and Lukaku all sort of in their prime playing incredibly well at club at the club level and at the international level and somehow mysteriously made them the top team in the world for years, judging by the FIFA rankings. But this team sort of feels like they are... 
I don't want to say fizzling out and that will probably come back to bite me in the ass if I say that. But when you look at the results recently as well, even in qualifying, yes, they did well. But you look at the Nations League tournament, which I know we don't really care about it, but they lost to France, then they lost to Italy. They also lost to Italy in Euro 2020. So when they come up against these really big teams, they have been sort of stumbling lately. And I'm not saying that we should underestimate them because ultimately they still are on paper the strongest team in this group. Um, but I just feel like with a well-organized side, which is something that Canada definitely has, because look, at the international level, a lot of times it feels like a manager is just sort of picking the best 11 and then sending them out there to play at their strengths. And Canada isn't really like that. They're unique in that sense in that they do have a very strong manager in comparison to other international teams. And I think that they organize them well and, and Herdman will put the work in to prepare the team well. And uh, Alfonso Davies spoke recently of how he he makes them believe that they can beat anyone. Um, so who knows? It's, if we if we see the Belgium that has stumbled against Italy and has stumbled against top teams in the past, and they aren't quite in form, then maybe Canada could steal a draw or something like that. And then it goes up against Morocco and Croatia. Like Josh said, Croatia's aging a little bit, but they have that X factor with top talents, top international talents like Modric, Perisic, etc. It's it's hard to say. I, I want to see Canada go through and sneak through in second, but it's it's going to take close to perfection at this point. I just want to give a non-biased opinion on Canada. Even though you guys think it's not going to be a non-biased opinion, being completely honest, it's I say about Canada the same thing I said about Ecuador. I think Canada is more of a 2026 team than a 2022 team. Uh they're not going to be a pushover in this World Cup, which is already outstanding for Canadian soccer. I don't see them going through this group. I think they will stay ahead of Morocco. Apparently, Ziyech has some issues with the coach, and he'll probably not be. I think that'll play a big role. But again, I, I don't think they're going to go through a Belgium or Croatian side with plenty of international experience, world-class players. And it will take a lot from Canada to get one of those teams out. I think Canada will finish in third place in this group, being completely honest and It'll be a good experience for a lot of these guys. Some of them that are very young, like Alfonso Davies is very young. Jonathan David is still very young. Um, Eustachio will be in his prime in the next World Cup. And many other players. Tejon Buchanan is very young. I think it's more about 2026. Regardless, qualifying was massive for Canada in the country and for them to get this experience of being in the World Cup before being at the World Cup, they're going to be part host. I agree with you, Filippo. Um, I actually thought the same thing. For Canada, was all about getting to this tournament and everything from here on as well as a bonus. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, um, but it's not just that this is a 2026 team, and I, I understand what you mean, and I agree with it. Um, but it's also very, very... We've seen this in the past with countries that have come in with lots of talent and have been at a tournament for the first time or for the first time in a long time, and get drawn into a group like that. And then you, for the first time in your life, you face someone like Croatia or you face someone like Belgium. And Croatia, people look at this team and they're like, oh yeah, they're old and they're slow and all that. Like I covered Croatia very closely at the 2018 World Cup. They beat England. Mandzukic scored that goal against England with a torn um, ligament in his knee. And this is just what Croatian football is all about. They go above and beyond their capabilities because they are a country that fight unbelievably hard to get far in tournaments. This is a very, very difficult team. And I don't care that Modric is 36. He's a starter for Real Madrid, 
right? And you look at the guy like Kramaric, who was the top scorer at his team of Hoffenheim. You look at Guardiola, who was one of the most talented center backs on the planet. This is a team that's still very difficult to beat. And Canada hasn't faced a team like that ever, 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 ever in a competitive fixture. And that's going to be a very big wake-up call, I think. And I think people in this country have to realize that everything from here on out is a bonus. And that doesn't mean it's it's written in stone that Canada will go out. But I think we have to realize that this was just a step to 2026. And this is going to be incredibly hard. Incredibly hard against teams that are seasoned veterans and know this competition inside out. And this is true for both Belgium and Croatia, but also Morocco, who got punished pretty hard in the Russia 2018 World Cup with like a controversial VAR call, right? I think this is going to be very hard. That's just my final take from it. Um, Filippo, we have two more groups here, guys. This is going to be a long podcast, but I think that's fine when considering like, that we're previewing this this entire entire tournament. Um, Filippo, I'm going to go straight to you, to your group, Switzerland, Cameroon, Serbia, Brazil. Um, speaking about tough opponents and um, difficult teams to play against, I put Serbia into exactly that same category as Croatia. And, you know, having traveled and spent a ton of times in the Balkans, knowing the people there, knowing their football really well, Serbia is going to be really tough, man. Yeah, I mean, Brazil, it's, it's kind of funny that in 2018, these three teams were in the same group, right? Brazil, Switzerland. Serbia, and then they had Costa Rica. Now you have Cameroon. And Cameroon in particular is looking like they might be one of the weakest African sides to make it to this tournament. So not trying to count them out, but counting them out and putting Brazil, Serbia, and Switzerland as the top three teams in this group. It's going to be interesting because the last World Cup, Serbia definitely improved. They're better than the last World Cup. I also do, do think Brazil's team for this World Cup is looking better than the past one. More experienced. Filippo, do you use your terms? Serbia in 2018 was a 2022 team. Yes, there you go. You have it right there. So they didn't make it past the group stage at that time, but they could be a dark horse for this tournament. And maybe not like Croatia was in the last World Cup, but this team is tough to beat, man. The players are big, so set pieces can be an issue. I think Savic is a great midfielder, Vlavic up top, and then you got Jovic as an option off the bench, Mitrovic that has, what does he have in the, the championship? 30 goals, 40 goals? Um, probably going to play in the Premier League next season and do fine. So this is a tough group to go through. With that said, I think Switzerland this time might be the team to get knocked out. I think, like you just said, Serbia was weaker in 2018. They were a 2022 team, and now they're ready to go. Uh Adrian can talk about them a little bit when they face Portugal in the World Cup qualifying. Brazil is better than 2018. The team is more experienced. There are some pieces that came to the squad that tactically adjusted the team the way Chichi wanted, like Rafinha and Antony. We really needed a lefty winger that could play at a high level, and we didn't have that. But now there's two options, Rafinha and Antony, and they can do the job. Uh, the emergence of Vinicius Jr. will help Neymar a lot, take some responsibilities out of Neymar, a player that's been fantastic, lights out this season. The defense is looking good. So I fully expect Brazil to go th through this group. Not with so much ease. I would, I would say probably seven to nine points is what they should get. More towards seven because Serbia or Switzerland can easily pull the draw. I mean, Switzerland pulled the draw with Brazil in the last World Cup. It was 1-1. So it'll be a fun group to watch. Uh, I think a lot of people underestimate what Switzerland and, and Serbia do. And if Brazil doesn't take this group seriously, 
they'll be in trouble. They have to take these games very seriously. It's going to be a very tough group. Brazil has had easier groups in the past. This one's not an easy group. I think this is the group of death. Maybe. Not in terms of glamour, like glamour, right? It's not like World Cup champions. This, this could be one where a favorite goes out, Filippo. It could be. Like I said, if Brazil doesn't take this seriously, Switzerland and Serbia can cause them... Serbia can beat Brazil if Brazil messes around. I think Switzerland will have a harder time beating Brazil. They're more of a pull a draw against Brazil type of team. But if Brazil doesn't take Serbia seriously, they'll lose this game. And I'm I'm very biased towards Brazil, but I'm just saying this. So I still fully expect Brazil to go through, but this will be a fun group to watch. Very balanced among those three nations. Adrian, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, with respect to Cameroon, I watched that second leg of their qualifier against Algeria. And it was, if you think of that Benfica versus Ajax second leg, where Benfica was just sitting back and just getting dominated. It was like that, but times 10, because Algeria was hitting the post. Onana was having to make incredible saves the entire time. Like it was really, really brutal. It was the definition of a smash and grab, that one. So that was a... I mean, I don't want to say that they're guaranteed in fourth, but but I do just feel like Switzerland and Serbia are so annoying to play against. And since Dragan Stojkovic took over for Serbia, they went undefeated in qualifying and finished above Portugal, as everyone knows. But there is a little bit of an asterisk next to that because Ronaldo had that goal that went in, but there was no VAR at the time in European qualifiers and apparently no goal line technology. So it didn't count as a goal. So that would have been a win for Portugal, but still... Very well organized, very difficult, and very talented, you know, with Milinkovic Savic in the midfield, Vlavic in the attack. They have a very good Tadic as well. They have a very good attack. Switzerland, we all know what they did at Euro 2020 against France. So it's definitely going to be the group that I'm going to be watching third most, I guess I'll say, because I'll be watching Canada and Portugal's group. But I'll be keeping an eye on this one because just of how interesting it is. Um, And obviously because Portugal could be facing one of the teams from this group as well. Oh man, Kostic and Flaovic together. Whew. That's going to be 100 miles an hour. I, I, I worry about Brazil. I think this could be the one to go out there uh, early on. Um, no. We'll see. That, that, yeah. That's not happening. Yeah, they we'll might see. try. They're going through. I'll this, be surprised. This is, this, is my early, this is my early prediction Brazil to go out in the group stage. Um, You're afraid of facing them in the quarterfinals, Germany. No, I'm, actually, that'd be nice. But um, group, <laughs> group H with Portugal, um, Adrian. That's on paper not a bad draw because Uruguay is not the powerhouse it used to be. Ghana, um, not the Ghana that it used to be either. In South Korea, we kind of don't know that much about them other than Son and Huang. Um, like it's going to that's a that's you must have been really happy about this group. Overall, yes, but definitely some bad memories of Portugal playing against Uruguay in the 2018 World Cup. And some of the intel that I got from Filippo about this new iteration of Uruguay is that they like to sit deep as well. And that's exactly Portugal's, you know, the thing that they struggle with the most is teams that sit back sometimes. Now, I'd like to believe that with what we saw from Fernando Santos against Turkey and North Macedonia and that he sort of took the handbrake off and he just played with one holding midfielder, which was a Juan Matinho, so not exactly a defensive midfielder in the classical sense. Um, and then a very, very attacking lineup with, you know, Bernardo Silva, Otavio, Jota, Ronaldo, et cetera, et cetera, all in there. Um, I like to think that if Portugal tries to play on the front foot and they really go for it, they shouldn't have too many issues in this group. I'd like to think that they could beat all of the teams. But again, it's Fernando Santos and he's only won three matches 
in three tournaments within 90 minutes, which is just a ridiculous, ridiculous record. Very, very poor. And so that's sort of the X factor. It depends on what we get from him. If he takes the handbrake off and he goes for it and he plays Portugal's very blessed attacking players, I think that they'll be okay. There are some worries about the back line. If Ruben Dias is fit, if Pepe is fit, then I'm going to be okay with it. Nuno Mendes at left back, Sean Cancelo at right back, very attacking player. So he needs to get the balance right or the chemistry, as you guys were saying. He needs to get the chemistry right and find a balance in there. And most often he just defaults to playing very defensive, double, triple, quadruple pivot in the midfield. And uh, we get torched because of it. But yeah, if they go and they attack, I think that Portugal should be able to top this group. Oh, that was a marathon on the ice. We got through all, all groups, group A to H. Um, yeah, this... I, I mean, I wasn't really that excited about this tournament until I think we did this podcast. And now I've gone through it and so many intriguing storylines. I'm I'm really excited. And don't worry, we'll, we'll probably do a lot more content on this as we get closer. But it's been a marathon of a podcast um, and we're going to kind of cap it off here. Um, I hope you enjoy the show. Please leave us a review. Um, we'll be back soon with another podcast. And until then, cheers and bye bye.